Well, I appreciate the Herbert's sharing that story of uh, what's going on in Noel's life. And um, we're starting a new series today called Faith. And have you ever have you ever met somebody who the only way you could really describe them is it just seemed like they had unshakable faith. And it's almost like, you know, you, you hear their story, you hear what they're going through, you hear that the season that they're in, and it's like you, you hear the, the circumstances, but then you look at the words, you look at their attitude, and it's just like if the two don't match up, you know, you, you shouldn't be this confident, you shouldn't be this clear-minded, you should, you should be upset, you should be angry, you should be scared, and it's just the two don't match up. And sometimes you see stories like the Herberts, and I mean, you look and you hear like how, how they still have confidence in God, how they believe God's still there in the midst of it all, how God's going to get them through it. And it even makes you question your own faith a little bit, where you go like, okay, if I went through what they're going through, if I were in their shoes, I don't know if I could do what they're doing right now. I don't know if I could be this clear-minded. I don't know if I could be this confident. I don't know if I would be okay. I don't know if I could even handle something like that. And it makes you even question your own faith. And when you see it, when you hear stories like that, you stop and you ask yourself a question. You go, man, where, where does that come from? And how do I get it? Where in the world does that come from and how do I get it? And that's exactly what we're going to talk about for the next six weeks. For the next six weeks, we're going to talk about where that comes from and how we get it. Because when it comes to our faith, every single one of us are probably in a different place on our faith journey. For some of us, we had rock solid faith. Like there was a time where it was just like, man, you would describe it as you were like on fire for God. But then over time or over seasons of your life, you've just felt like maybe that's kind of doled down. Maybe that's kind of not where you once were. And you thought like, man, I was so on fire for God. I had so much faith. And now I just, I don't know. I seem more anxious. I seem more scared. I I seem more worried and in doubt. How do I get that back? For others of us, for others of us, it may be that we're in our infancy of faith. Like we've just started our faith journey and maybe we're just starting to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus and stuff. And you're like, you know, hey, I mean, I, I have faith and I'm kind of new to faith. And, but how do you grow your faith? Like wh- where does it go from here? How, how could I get to that, that level, you could say, of faith that like the Herbert shared about or some of those stories that you share about? How, how do I get there? And then for some of us, for some of us, We've walked completely away from faith. We grew up in church. We, we grew up with an experience. And we're like, man, you know, I, I've walked away, but there's some part of me that is still inspired by those kinds of stories. Who, who wants to almost get back into it and maybe rediscover my faith. Or maybe the truth is, is that faith was never really even clearly explained to me the way that it should be. So how is it? Where is it? That I find myself on this faith journey and how do I get back to it? And that is what we're going to talk about. No matter where you are in your faith journey, where you are in your walk with God, we're going to talk about where faith comes from, how we get it back. But as we dive into this, I want to talk to you about a little bit where, what faith is and where it comes from. And the two most interesting things that I I find at times is, is the two things that amazed Jesus. Do you know what the two things that amazed Jesus are? The first one we find in the document that Matthew wrote. 
Matthew wrote this document. He was trying to explain the, the life of Jesus. And so he gets his scribes to write down and talk about what faith is and where it comes from. And there was this one moment in time where there was this Roman centurion that finds Jesus. And, and he talks to Jesus about the servant that he has at home that he wants healed. He has a servant that is sick. And so he asked Jesus, Jesus, would you be willing to heal my servant? And there were some questions to this because he was a Roman centurion. And there was some conflict between the Jews and the Romans. So he wasn't even sure himself if Jesus would actually be willing to heal him. But Jesus says, yes. And he goes, all right, well, travel to my home so you can see this sick servant and so that you can, you can heal him. And so they start to travel uh, home with Jesus. And then all of a sudden the centurion stops and he goes, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. You know what? I'm sorry to bother you. You don't actually need to travel home with me. And everybody's kind of just looking at him like, what are you talking about? And Jesus and the disciples and the apostles and these soldiers that are of this Roman centurion stop. And they're like, what do you mean we don't need to go any further? And he turns to Jesus and this is what he says. He says, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And here's what he was saying. He was saying, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I am so silly. You know what? I told you, you needed to travel home with me to see this, this person. But you know what? In the same way that I tell these soldiers go and they do, you could command the the sickness away. You could just say the words. I don't know, Jesus. You could just even say it in your head if you wanted to, but you don't actually need to go home with me. Lord, I have so much confidence in you. If you just say it, think it or speak it, it will be done. So don't waste your time and don't go any further with me. And Jesus and the disciples are looking at this man and Jesus's jaw drops. And it said, Matthew, he wrote this down. He goes, it was incredible. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. There was no other word that Matthew could think to write it down. How would you describe Jesus in that moment? I, I, you know what? There's only two times I ever saw it. And the first way I would say, he was amazed. His jaw literally dropped. He had never seen anything like that before or heard anything like that before. And here it was coming out of a Roman centurion, not even a Jew, but a Roman centurion had that much faith. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And then he, he turns to everybody and he said, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And here's what happened in that moment. That centurion man, he recognized, he recognized who Jesus is. And then he went all in. He said, I'm so sorry. I forgot. Your God in human form, your God on earth. You've been given all authority on heaven, on earth. God, you, Jesus, you can just speak it and it will be done. Then there was another time where Jesus was traveling and this is at the height of his ministry. This is the height of his popularity. Everybody had heard about the Jewish rabbi from Nazareth who was claiming to be God, the son of God, who was claiming to have all authority on heaven and on earth. And he goes and he travels through his hometown and he's traveling through his hometown. And you would think traveling through his hometown. Oh, I bet he was met with a homecoming parade. I bet they were so happy to see him. I bet they were, you know, waving in the streets going, oh, we always believed in him. Yep. He's our homeboy. He, he grew up right here among us, but that's not the case. Actually, he returned home and this is what he was met with. Mark got it from Peter and Peter said, here's what they were saying in the streets. They were saying, isn't that the carpenter? Isn't that Mary's son, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And and aren't his his sisters here with us? And they took offense 
at him. See, he goes home and, and he, everybody has heard about who Jesus claims to be. And they go, what? The, the carpenter boy? Bro, I went to high school with his brother. I dated his sister last week. I'm telling you, that's not the son of God. There's no way. I mean, I, I kissed his sister. She did not kiss like God. It was not like heaven. I'm telling you. No, there's no way. That is the son of God. And they, they just kind of scoffed at him. And in the middle of this experience, the disciples look at Jesus. They're looking at the reaction on his face. And once again... They saw what Matthew, what Peter, what John had all seen once before. Suddenly, Peter could only describe it one way. He said, you know what happened? Jesus was amazed. But this time he was amazed at their lack of faith. The two things that amazed Jesus in the Gospels. Great faith and lack of faith. Do you know what never, ever amazed Jesus? You know what ever, never made Jesus' jaw drop? Somebody's obedience and their knowledge. Jesus was never impressed by that. Jesus was never impressed about how much scripture anybody knew. Jesus was never impressed about how obedient somebody was. But Jesus was impressed and amazed and his jaw literally dropped. It's somebody's great faith or the very opposite. Their lack of faith. So when we look at the ministry and the life of Jesus, it becomes very, very clear that for the first century followers of Jesus, and even for us, 21st century followers of Jesus, Jesus's hope and dream for every single one of us is that we would become people of great faith. That we would be people full of confidence in God. That we would trust him with our life, anchor ourselves to him, and follow him. But that brings up a question. Probably the question that's on everybody's mind, and that's this. Yeah, but what is faith? Because depending on your experience, depending on how you were brought up or the church you were brought up in, we probably all can have a little bit different answer for that question, right? What even is faith? Because some of us, we might believe or we might be, have been brought up thinking that faith is hope and optimism. Right? I mean, you hear people say that all the time. You just need to have faith, which really what they're saying is it's almost like you could slide a synonym in there and go, you just need to be optimistic. You just need to be hopeful, which if you don't know me or you haven't been here around, I've been, I've been very, very open and honest. I'm a person of anxiety and depression and all kinds of weird mental disorders. So things are all always going on in this head. But let me tell you something. I am not an optimistic or hopeful person. Okay. I look at the glass and I'm like, it's definitely half empty and I would love to fix it because it's really, really bothering me. Okay. I'm not a very hopeful or optimistic person. And even when I'm anxious or stressed out, I might sometimes call my mother and I'm like, mom, I'm a little stressed out. And she says it to me. You just need to have faith, which if faith is synonymous with hope and optimism, I look at that and I go, well, then I am in trouble. Because I have no hope and I have no optimism. So therefore, I must not be a person of faith. Which probably means I shouldn't be your pastor. But here's what I've learned. Here's the good news. Is that faith is not synonymous with hope and optimism. Now, don't get me wrong. Hope and optimism are not bad things to have. And faith can unlock and make possible hope and optimism. But those two things are not synonymous with one another. Here's the thing about faith. Faith always has an object. Faith is always in a something or a someone. I'll use a great example. Uh, many of you have traveled on a, an airplane before, correct? Right? 
you've traveled on an airplane, you've gotten on a plane, and you are hopeful, you are optimistic that your flight is going to get you there safely. Uh, you are hopeful and optimistic that your flight is going to get there on time. Although in 2023, none of us are optimistic that any plane is going to get us anywhere on time. You know, it will get us there eventually is how it feels. Uh, but we have faith. But here's the thing. We don't have faith because we're hopeful and optimistic. Where is our faith put in? Our faith is in the integrity and the integrity in the structure of the plane and in the judgment of the pilot. Because we've all seen planes take off, go in the air, fly over our house and land. We've all been on planes before. Plans for the most part, they go up, they go down and they get you where you're supposed to go in a very timely manner. And so we've seen it enough that we trust it. And we've seen enough planes make it that we're not very leery or scared of the structural integrity of the plane. We believe in planes. But the other thing is, is that even if something does go wrong, which we all have seen, stuff goes wrong. We've all hit turbulence before. We have put our faith in the judgment of the pilot. I could go through all kinds of stuff in the air, in a plane. Something could go wrong, but I'm okay. Because I've seen Tom Hanks and Sully. I know that through Tom Hanks, all things are possible. So, you know, whatever happens, I, for the most part, I believe it's going to be okay. But it's not because I'm optimistic. It's not because I'm hopeful. It's because I have faith in something. I'll use another example if you're not caught up with me yet. I take my kids to William Capel. I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. They go to William Capel Elementary. I drop my kids off at school, and I believe I never worry about my kids' safety at school. Now, here's the reason. Is it because I'm optimistic? Oh, no. In 2023, are any of us optimistic of people anymore? I mean, we've seen school shootings. We've seen all kinds of things happen. I mean, we know what people are capable of and we know what could happen. However, I have been in that school and I know those teachers and I know that staff and I have faith in the school and in the teachers that my kids are going to be okay. Just last week, Pastor Ashley and I, we had our first affordable Christmas shop meeting. And so we, we went to uh, Lincoln Elementary over here. And so we go into Lincoln Elementary and uh, Pastor Ashley homeschools her kids. So she hasn't been in a school for seven years. And so we go in and there's just all the security. The doors are locked. We go through one door. We go up. There's a camera. I have to hit a button and like put my eyeball against it and stuff, you know, and I'm waving like a goober. And then we go through another door and then we go to a window and they're like, what do you want? And then we go through another door and then we have have to scan our ID. We have to get stickers. And then somebody escorted us to our meeting place and stuff. And we walked out of there and pastor Ashley was like, I had no clue schools were this secure anymore, but they are. And I, I have faith. I don't worry because I have faith, not in people, not in optimism, not in hope. I have faith in the teachers, in the school that they are going to keep my kids safe. Faith always has a something or a someone. It has an object. And then the other thing is this. The object of faith isn't a particular outcome. The object of faith isn't, well, I think everything's going to work out. Well, I think everything's going to be okay. That's optimism. And that's something we don't always have. It was really interesting 
Scott and I were talking after we filmed that video and he talked about, you know, every time we go on vacation, Noel has had to be admitted to the hospital so many times. We kind of pre-plan to what if Noel gets sick and what if we have to go to the hospital? He said we constantly travel around with a with a hospital bag in case we have to go to the hospital. Does that mean Scott doesn't doesn't have faith because he thinks there's a possibility that they could be on vacation or they could be out and they have to end up at the hospital? No, Scott is full of faith. But Scott knows the reality that something may happen and they may have to go to the hospital. And so they prepare for that outcome. But he's still in the midst of whatever outcome it may be. It may be that vacation goes great and Noel is healthy. It could be, though, that Noel gets an infection and gets very sick. Either way, he is prepared for either one of them. And here's the key. No matter if it goes his way or if it goes the other way, Scott and Esther's faith is in God. That God is going to get them through it. That God is going to do what only God can do. And that's what amazed Jesus when the centurion said, Jesus, you know what? I'm so silly. I thought it had to be this way, but you could do it another way if you'd like. And maybe you don't even want to do it that way. Maybe you want to do it a completely different way that I haven't even thought of. But you know what? That's cool. You tell me what you'd like to do. Because here's the thing. Even if you don't do what I know you could do, you're still going to be you. And that's cool. So you do you, Jesus, because my faith is not in a particular outcome. It's in you. See, the thing is that we have to understand about faith. Faith is not hope and optimism. Faith is not everything's going to work out. Faith is not if I pray enough and if I have enough faith enough that that what I dream like a genie in the bottle, God's going to make it come true. No, Jesus came to establish himself as the object of. Of faith. Not not to tell us everything was going to work out for our good. Not that everything was going to be okay. Not that everything was going to go the way that we wanted. But he came to be the person for us to put our faith in. Which is why he invited, invited people not to believe in him but to follow him. To anchor themselves to him. To put their trust and confidence in him and to walk by faith with him. And it was interesting as he tries to establish himself as the object of faith. He he had some convincing to do. So even before stuff hit the fan and and things got dangerous for everybody, he gathers his disciples around and he says, hey, guys, I I want to tell you something. And John, he wrote it down. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be troubled. Do not be troubled. And then he does something so interesting. He says, you believe in God. Now, again, you see that word believe and you're like, well, see, there it is. We're supposed to believe, you know, we believe in God. But there's something going on here that is more than meets the eye. See, when John pens this, he's much older in his older age and he's got a lot of time to reflect on this. And most of the apostles, they've been martyred, they've been dead and he's still alive. And he's trying to think about, man, how do I, how do I word this? Because, see, there actually was not a Greek word for trust at this point in time in history. There's no word for trust. So he goes, all right, what am I, what am I going to say here? Because I'm trying to convey what Jesus was trying to say. And, and so he does something that had not been done in Greek literature up until this point. He takes the Greek verb for believe and he marries it to the word in and he puts them together. And so in English, it literally translates to believe in. But the idea and the thought that more uh, accurate would be you, you trust in God, right? You trust in God. And they would all go, yes, absolutely. We trust in the Father. We trust in the the God of Abraham. And he goes, all right. Well, I want to give you a little change. He says, you you believe in God? Well, 
Here's the thing. Believe also in me. Or again, he uses the same context of Greek there. The better way to say it is this. You, you trust in God. You put your confidence in God. Trust also in me. Have confidence in me. Anchor yourself to me and follow me. Because in the middle of all this, what we have to understand is not only did Jesus come to make himself the object of our faith, but in order to earn our trust, in order to convince us to put our confidence in him, to not just believe in God or trust in God, but to also make him the object of their faith and to trust in him as almost the new version, as almost the clearest depiction that they could get. He, in the middle of all of this, was coming to show us something. Jesus came to show us what God is really like. He came to show us what God was really like. Because if we went around the room right now and I said, hey, turn to your neighbor and just, you know, t- everybody share what you think God is like. Like, tell us some things you think are true about God or things you know about God or if you met God, what God would be like. And probably us in this room, we would all have a different answer, you know. It'd be like that scene in Talladega Nights where Will Ferrell's praying to baby Jesus, you know, six pound, eight ounces, baby Jesus, you know, the little golden fleece diapers, you know, he turns to Cal and Cal's like, I, I picture Jesus like at a rock concert, like at a Leonard Skinner, you know, and we're in the front row. I mean, we would all probably have a different answer, you know, baby Jesus, teenage Jesus, you know, race car Jesus, probably here in Troy, John Deere Jesus. I don't know, you know, like I picture my God in overalls at a tractor pool with Brad Lindsay. And, you know, he's got a real cool trucker hat on with a little bald spot, you know, with maybe some chew and a Mountain Dew, you know, that, that's how some of y'all picture God would be like if you and God were hanging out. We would all have a different answer. And here's the thing. So did they. Even if Jesus, when he gathered around with his apostles and and got them together and said, hey, what do you think God's like? What do you think? They all had these assumptions about what God was like based on what they experienced, based of what they had read in Hebrew text, old stories. And here's the thing, just like us today, most of them were wrong. So Jesus comes to clear it all up and Jesus came to show us what God is really like. There was one time they were traveling through the streets and there was a blind man there and the disciples, they stopped and they go, Hey, quick question, Jesus. I just want to ask you. So tell me, uh, why, why is this man blind? Who sinned? Was it his parents or was it him? Because they believed there was some kind of God karma to where if you had sinned, God punished you. If you were a bad person, God punished you. And there was some sort of God karma. So they wanted to know. So tell us, whose karma is it? Is it his or is it his parents? And Jesus goes, neither. You're both wrong. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Yeah, but we thought that God punishes people. No, no, no. See, that's your assumption. And your assumption is wrong. And he heals the man. Another time, Jesus is talking about the the importance of loving God and loving your neighbor. And again, when they heard that, they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God. And what they heard in their head, because all throughout of Old Testament literature, your neighbor was your fellow Jew. And so they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love God and love the Jews. That's right. But anybody who is against us, you better watch out because we're God's people and we're coming to take our land and to take everything that we've been earned and everything we were promised to us. And so that's right. And then somebody was like, hold on. I got a bad feeling about this. Could you just clarify who's our neighbor? Who is our neighbor again? And Jesus goes, ah, glad you asked. He says, you know, you've heard love. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
And they all said, yeah, 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 we've grown up on that. That's, that's some good Hebrew uh, literature right there. That's some good Leviticus Old Testament. That's right. Love, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And if they come across you eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Oh yeah, man. I love that scripture verse. I got it hung up, hung up in my living room from Hobby Lobby. It says it right there. You know, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Uh, my uncle, he got it tattooed on his lower back. It says it right there. You know what I mean? Yeah, we love that. We love that because Hey man, if it was good enough for King David, it's good enough for me. If it was good enough for King Solomon, if it was good enough for Abraham, it's good enough for me. And Jesus goes, well, I hate to burst your bubble, but I tell you, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He literally goes, I know your assumptions about God. And I know that you think God hates his enemies, that God is against people. But let me tell you something. If you want to be like your father in heaven, if you want to be in his family, if you want to look like him, you should pray for your enemies. You should pray for the person who persecutes you. And they all went, what? You're telling me that God loves his enemies? You're telling me that God doesn't withhold his mercy from people who choose to do wrong against somebody else? He goes, that's right. And here, I'll give you a great example. I'll make it really practical for you. If you don't believe me, think about this. He says, doesn't he cause his son to rise on the evil and the good? And doesn't he send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous? He goes, man, look around. Do you see the sun just beaming down on the Jews? Just on the good people? Just on the righteous? Or does not everybody get to enjoy the warmth of the sun? And doesn't isn't God's rain come down on everybody? Don't the Jews' crops get rained on? Don't the Gentiles' crops get rained on? And don't the Romans' crops get rained on? Yeah. Well, then see... Your assumptions of what you thought about God, they're just not true. And the thing that they became to realize, the thing that they started to understand, the thing that we need to understand is when you trust in Jesus, to trust in Jesus is to trust in God as he actually is. To trust in Jesus is to trust in the clearest picture you could get of what God is really like. My daughter, she's nine years old. She, uh, I, I swear, I, I can take no credit in how good of a child she is. She's phenomenal. Um, she started to read her Bible, uh, this week, last week. And, uh, she found, she found my Bible somewhere. I don't even know where she found it at. She got into, I don't, she got in a bunch of storage tubs, uh, downstairs and found like love letters that I wrote to Kate in college. It's been a whole thing. <laughs> She's found things she was not supposed to find, nor did I know we still had. But anyway, amongst the love paraphernalia in the basement, uh, she found my Bible. <laughs> and she was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading this. It was my old NIV kids Bible that I got when I was dedicating. So she gets my Bible out and she goes, Daddy, I'm going to start reading my Bible. And I'm like, of course you are. That's a good pastor's kid. I'm sorry I've never encouraged you to do that. And she's like, so where do I start? And she goes, Daddy, do I, be, do I start at the beginning? Do I start with Genesis? And I said, absolutely not. Because Genesis is not the beginning. I said, you start with Matthew. And then you go to Mark. And then you go to Luke and then you go to John and then I want you to read Paul's letters and then we're going to talk and then I'll let you go to Genesis. But no, you start with Jesus. And I, I told her, I said, and here's what I, what, 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 what do you think about? Okay. 
as you go through this and as you read the story of Jesus. I want you to ask yourself a question. What do I learn about God by looking at Jesus? Because I said, honey, there's a lot of things in the Old Testament, a lot of things that happen, a lot of stories about God. And I believe all of them are true. But they are not the clearest picture of who God is and what God is actually like. And there's a lot of things you need to understand and a lot of things that are very complicated. But if you want to know what your Father in Heaven is really like, go look at the life of Jesus. Because Jesus, this is the thing I want you to understand. It's so important. And for somebody, this would be a game changer to your faith. Jesus isn't simply a chapter in the story. Jesus is the story. Everything that came before was a means to an end, meant to be there for a purpose. And that end was Jesus. And then Jesus comes and he goes, hey, I have, I have not come to abolish anything. It has served its purpose. It was there, but I have come to fulfill it. Everything that came before me was a means to an end. And I am that end. And here I am. I am God in human form in front of you. And if you want to know what the father is like, look no further. And if you want to get to the father, you've got to come through me. Paul understood this when he wrote a letter to Colossae and he's trying to help him leave the religious system that they were in and understand the, that the old was there for a purpose, but the old was, was passing away. Later, Peter himself would even say that it was obsolete now. But he writes in this letter and he says this, he goes, These, and he's talking about the old. He says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. These these things, they were a shadow. We've all seen a shadow before, right? My shadow, I, I tell you what, if you ever see my shadow, I look like the Hulk. It's great, okay? I look big, I look wide in the right places, you know what I mean? I mean, when my kids see my shadow coming, they think there's a monster in the house. And then I come around the corner and you can actually see me and you realize it's just Mighty Mouse, okay? You're like, that's not intimidating at all. Like I thought he was like eight foot tall, he's like four feet tall, you know? And so the thing is, is that we've all seen shadows before. Even when you're a kid, you know, you see a shadow, you thought it was something else. You didn't know exactly what it was. And here's the thing about shadows, right? A shadow, it's not an inaccurate picture. It's just an incomplete picture. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like all of the former, all of the old, it's not inaccurate, but it's not a complete picture. And then he talks about this. He says, but the reality, the reality, however, is found in Christ. You want to know what God is really like? Everything from the old, it's not inaccurate. It's there for a reason. It is a means to an end. And that end was Jesus. But the reality, the reality of what God is really like, the reality of what God cares about, the reality of how God cares, the reality of God, how God blesses, the reality of how God forgives and is merciful and is kind... Well, look no further than Jesus. Jesus came to establish himself as the the object, the object of our faith. Because here's the thing. What happened over time is that everything that was old, everything everything that that God had promised through Abraham, it was there and it had served a purpose, but, but everything was put in a box. 
You know, you go through Leviticus, you go through all of the Hebrew laws, you go through all of the Old Testament stories. Everything was there for a purpose, was there for a plan, but everything was put in a box. It was like, okay, God's going to be in the temple. This is the rules. This is who can go to God. This is who can talk to God. Very rigid. There's a system. There's hoops to jump through. You do A, B, C, and D, and it went all the way through 613 commands is what it ended up being. And here's all the rules and everything was put in a box and God was put in a box. And then Jesus comes and he dismantles the box. Literally, when he dies on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn in half. And Jesus himself said that the temple would be eventually torn down and forgotten about and it should never be replaced. So Jesus comes and he dismantles this box. And instead of this vertical relationship where it's just about me and God, me and God, me doing the right things to God and God blessing me. And if I'm a bad boy or I do the wrong things, God's going to throw his curses down. Instead of it just being a vertical relationship, it became this horizontal thing where it was about one another and one another, about putting the person beside me next to me. And be, that being how I show my love for God. I show my love for God in order. I do that by loving other people. By being like Jesus, by loving people in the way that Jesus has loved me. And he dismantles it all. And for, for a while, for a time, the church, the first century church, was exactly what Jesus came to bring. They called it the way because it was the way of Jesus. But over time, when things got safe, when things got comfortable, we put God back in a box. And instead of a temple, we had buildings. And we told people, just come to the building. Come to the dwelling place of God. We have a song. We have a dance we'd like you to do. There's some things you can recite. Some things to confess. Some dance moves that we'd like to teach you. And just do this and walk through this. And this is God. Here you go. This is God in a box. And this is what you're supposed to do. And do you know what? The very thing that God came to dis or Jesus came to dismantle, the church put back together again. And for many of us, the reason we've walked away from faith or the reason our faith has struggled is because you and I, we grew up on the shadow. We grew up on the shadow where we where, where, where God was taken and God was politicized and God was monetized. And we were told that God is against certain people. That God punishes certain people. That God needs you to pick up and fight for God. And fight for this cause. And fight these people. And, and take your stand. That God, that, 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 that God is against certain people. And you, you grow up in that idea. And you know what? You start to think that, that God is this judge. And you start to even become judgmental yourself. But the thing about that is too. If you grew up on the shadow. If you grew up like me in some regards, if you grew up on the shadow, I, I would bet there were two things you were scared to death of. And maybe for some of you, some of you are going to say, that's still me. You were scared of two things, dying and Jesus coming back. You know why you were afraid of those two things? Because you heard so much about who God was against and how angry God was and about how nobody measured up and nobody was sinless. That when you looked in the mirror, not only did you judge other people, but when you looked in the mirror, you judged yourself. And you were scared to death of dying or Jesus coming back. Because when you looked at yourself, you didn't even know if you would make it to heaven. Because God was so angry. That's what happens when we grow up in the shadow. But here's the thing. And for somebody, this might be the first time that you're hearing this. The reality is not in the shadow. 
And not on the shadow or the religious organization that we grew up watching. And here's the thing. For many of us, we think that we walked away from faith. But the truth is, is you didn't walk away from faith because you were never walking by faith to begin with. You walked away from the religious game that a lot of people are playing today. But Jesus came to be the object of our faith. For us to put our faith in him, to be the reality of what God is actually like. And he doesn't want you to just take it by faith, brother. He doesn't want it to be a blind faith. Because we all know this. What is the the currency of a relationship? The currency of a relationship is trust. And so he came and he said, look, I don't expect you to just put your faith in me for no reason. I came to show you what God is really like. So look at me, follow me, anchor yourself to me, walk by faith with me, put what I am talking about into practice. Trust me that this is what God is really like. And if you walk with me and if you follow me and put your trust in me, you will learn that I am trustworthy. And you don't have to take my word for it. Ask Matthew, ask Peter, ask, ask John, ask any of them that were there. You can take their word for it. This is what I was like and this is what I said and that is what God is like. This is the litmus test for Christian maturity. Is for us to go through things in life, go through chapters of our life. And even though we might go through seasons where we're like, well, this was not in my five-year plan. This was not on my bingo card for 2023. This is, this is very, very unexpected. But when you go through those seasons of life, when you go through those chapters, to stop and to ask yourself, what, what would I do if I was confident that God was actually with me? What would I do if I was really, truly, genuinely confident? That God is for me and God is with me. I want to help you find your faith. I want to help you grow your faith. I want to explain to you what faith actually is because it's much more than just optimism. It's just much more than I think things will work out. It's confidence in God and it's not a blind faith. I I, I hate that word in some ways because it's not blind there's proof and there's evidence. There's evidence there in the story of Jesus, but there's proof and there's evidence too all around us in some of these faith stories, stories like the Herberts, stories that are, that are, that are spread out among our faith community of there were times where I prayed and he heard and God answered. And that's reason enough for me. Look, You may not, that may not be reason enough for you. You may not have enough evidence to put your full blown confidence in God. That's something we're all working on. But if any bit of it is true, if there's anything that gives credence to what Matthew and Peter and John, if any of it is true, if any of it is real, if any of what other people in this room have said they've experienced with God is real, It's reason enough to at least lean in. It's reason enough to be curious. And we all know when we hear the stories, it inspires us. It makes us emotional. There's something we feel. There's something we're drawn to in that. And you know what? That's enough. Curiosity is enough to lean in and to begin to follow Jesus. And that's what I want to help you find. 
And that's what I want to help you grow. And that's what I want to help you nurture over the next five weeks as we talk about how to grow your faith. But this morning, I want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing a song. It's it's a newer song, and I I love this song. It's called Trusting God. And the words, the words are, "I, I sought you out. I called and you answered. That's why I trust you. That's why I trust you. And for some of you, I'm sure that's a song of celebration. You're like, that's exactly what I've been through, man. I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. For some of you, you're still seeking. You're still calling out. And you don't feel like God has heard your prayer. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay. That's why it's a faith journey. It's why it's something we seek. But my prayer for every single one of you is that you do seek it out. That just like what Scott said in that video, maybe you're not ever going to see the big miracle or maybe you're not ever going to see the big thing you want to see. But if you open your eyes enough and you start to see the little miracles, you start to see the little ways that God is working and doing and providing. Those little pieces are worth so much more because those little pieces are what earns God's trust. For you to be willing to start to put parts of your life into his hands. Will you stand with me this morning as we pray? Father God, as we come to you this morning, I pray for every single one of us, God, that we we would see your story. We would see who you are through your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. That we would experience you in a real way. That God, for some of us, we were grown up on the shadow. We were grown up on God in a box. We were grown up on this vertical, just between me and God thing. But God, may we maybe for some of us this time start to see what faith actually is. That your son, Jesus Christ, you so loved me. You so loved the world. You so loved everyone, even your enemies. That you sent your son to be the clearest picture You revealed yourself to us through your son, Jesus Christ, so that we would in turn trust you with our lives. God, would we see enough evidence this morning that we start to give you our life, that we would start to follow you. God, would we this morning, for that person this morning who is going through something and they're looking for you, they're looking for healing, they're looking for answers, They're looking for hope. They're looking for optimism. They're looking for the end of this chapter and they're looking for answers. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. Just like Scott said, maybe it's not going to be a big dramatic aha moment, but maybe it's just in a little miracle. Maybe it's in a little blessing. Maybe it's just in a little evidence that you are moving and you are working and you are for us, that you are not against us. God, I pray that every single one of us would experience that and that we in turn would trust you. In your name we pray, amen.